So when we did a survey a few weeks back, it seems like a really long time ago, uh, I put these little survey cards out and people and I and I had people rank, you know, the type of Bible study that you'd kind of like to do. And uh, interestingly, in fact, I was quite surprised actually, um, because the the number one response was. Uh, number two was topical, and we've been doing some topical Bible studies on Wednesday nights that way for quite some time. And, but the number one response was an expositional study of God's Word. And I, I wondered how many people knew what an expositional study of God's Word is. And, um, and so it was really kind of interesting that people in the group that provided the, the survey back to me were really interested in going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, uh, or one of the letters. In this case, we're going to do an epistle. Uh, and just kind of diving into it and just simply look at what the scripture says. And so as we do an exposition... Um, uh, the, the question initially is, what is, what is that? What is an exposition? And I don't mean the kind where we're going to get on a ship and cross an ocean and then, you know, I don't mean. An exposition of the Bible. It's nothing more than a comprehensive explanation of a text. That's all it is. So it's not this big. Christianese word, it's just simply taking a look at the text and explaining the idea or the concept, in this case it's scripture, so we're going to go through what is the idea, what did the writer have in, what were his intentions, what is he trying to communicate, and of course we know that as we do an exposition, we know who wrote the Bible, don't we? God wrote the Bible, and through inspiration, he used a number of people, uh, and so we, that's why we call it God's Word. So as we expose everything that God has for us in his Word, we're going to do it by taking a look at what the words mean. So what does this, what does this mean? And so it takes it to a little bit different level than just simply reading. Uh, we're going to actually study a little bit, and we're going to learn some of the... Uh, Techniques and tools so that we can indeed study what God is telling us through his word. Now we're going to take a look at this epistle of John. What is an epistle? A letter. A letter. Okay. An epistle is a literary form of work in the form of a letter. Anybody read First John by chance in the last couple of weeks? I just did. You just did. When? Today? Just at 5.30. At 5.30. <laughs> Betty, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so Betty read the epistle of First John. I read it a while back when I knew that's what we were going to study. Perfect. Ernie always tells me stuff. Perfect. Okay. And then I, just like Betty, I read the first part, just the very first part, thinking, well, we won't go very far. Okay. It, we, we're probably not going to get real far into it tonight, but what we're going to do is we're going to set the tone for what this is going to look like over the next several weeks. And it's really kind of fun because what we do is, is this is going to be really a lot of dialogue. And so there's going to be a lot of questions, and you might be surprised, but I'm going to ask some of the questions. 
And we are going, you're, you'll, I think you'll be surprised to find out that there is an awful lot of biblical knowledge in this room. A lot. And I think that you have more than you think you do. You have more than you think you do. And so, uh, as we look through some of the objectives for, for this, this um, uh, expositional study of this epistle of 1 John, uh, I think we're going to learn a lot. Now, last week, the substitute... <coughs> that sounds so funny. The substitute. So, Richie, last week, uh, uh, you said that you learned a, a new word, which was... Exegesis. Uh, do you remember um, from last week's uh, introduction, do you remember what that means? Exegesis. It's what the Bible says. Exegesis is what our opinion is of what it says, but exegesis is what it actually says. Okay, exegesis is what it actually says, and eisegesis is what we want it to say. There's a lot of want it, what we want it to say that goes around in Christian circles these days, is there not? In fact, this, this epistle deals with that issue from 2,000 years ago. There were people that, were, that, that John in this epistle, were, he was confronting the church because there were people that were eisegesising things. They were, they were pouring into, um, uh, 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 not, not, not necessarily scripture, but they were pouring into doctrine what didn't exist. And, it, and we're going to see where that, where that came from and where that, where that error is. But exegesis, the, the word itself, means to lead out. And I like that because in, in, as we think about what we're going to be studying and how we're going to be studying this epistle, if we think about um, leading out, that means that we're not putting anything in. So it's just the opposite. We want, to, we want to see what these words mean. We want to know what the writer intended. We want to, we want to hear from the Lord as we're, as we're looking at, at this epistle of John that has some really powerful stuff in it. But it's, it's, you're going to like this, Wes. Because frankly, John's writing style is quite simple. He just kind of tells it the way it is. He kind of gets right to the point, and he's and there's not a lot, there's not a lot of he he uncomplicates it quite frankly, and I know you'll appreciate that. I know you will. And so, in terms of of uh, this exegesis leading out, we're going to see that that there is a a critical explanation and interpretation because we have to interpret, don't we? Because there's a lot involved in understanding what God's word is telling us, and some of it comes from interpretation. So, how then do we, by way of introduction, how are we supposed to interpret what God's word says? How do we go about doing that? Ask God to guide us. Okay, well, certainly we can ask God to guide us. So, so if I could paraphrase that, what we can do is we can utilize the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us by asking, Lord, would you please reveal to us as we are reading just exactly what you intended? What else? Mark. I just leverage the same process that others have gone through and written about whatever we're reading. Absolutely. Leverage what other people have written about 
And we're going to see and we're going to use as a spiritual discipline in terms of self-study of the Bible instead of just reading. Now, I, I have a reading plan where I just read. I don't stop to think about it. I, I just, uh, I use, I, I read like 10 different books of the Bible at the same time and I take a chapter out of each one of those books and I just read. And it just keeps me familiar and I like doing that because I'm not studying. I'm just getting the word of God into me. And that was taught to me some time ago and I just like to do it that way. And I don't make a big deal out of it. I don't try to study it. I use study in, uh, in other applications. But for me personally, it's just a spiritual discipline. I just sit down and I just read. And it's amazing what comes back to you. I'm not much of a memorizer, so I'm not good at memorizing scripture. But I am good at reading and I like to read. So just for me, that just happens to work. So I just read. Is read. And so we're going to see that also not only using commentaries because there are some good commentaries and we're going to see that there are some not so good commentaries. <laughs> so you have to consider the source and that's important when we're going through trying to understand what scripture is trying to tell us on a, on a little deeper level. Um, and uh, what's the most important thing when we, when we start to look at this, at this letter tonight? We're going to open it up and we're going to start in 1 John 1, 1. And what's the most important thing to consider when we begin to look at interpreting what, what, what Scripture is telling us? Context. Context, context, context. Because we've heard from the pulpit here so many times, and you've been hearing this your entire Christian walk. You've been hearing that you can make this say anything you want to by just taking it out of context. And we're going to see that one of the reasons that John is writing this epistle to the church is because, man, there was a context problem. Mm. There was a real context problem. Mm. And we see that all the time, don't we? Yeah. And so then we have to consider what is the literary style. So we said that an epistle is a letter. Mm. Okay? All right. So, Sally, you decide that you're going to pick up your pen and you're going to write a letter to somebody. Mm. Okay? That's what this is. First John. is We call it this first epistle. And we're going to see when he wrote this epistle, because the context of, of historical timing becomes important, because it helps us to understand. But it is a form, it's a literary form. A letter is a, is a form of literature. And, and there are other forms of literature. Uh, for example, what type of literature, what form of literature is the book of Revelation, the easiest book in the Bible to understand? <laughs> what? Prophetic, apocalyptic. There are there are multiple forms of literary work that are contained in in this here now book that, that God provided for us. It's amazing, and it all ties together regardless of the form. But we're going to be focused when we study on this on the on the fact that this is a letter. I want you to think about it as being a letter. And so and we're going to also interpret. And Wes likes this a lot, where you can interpret something literally. Do it. When it says, um, you know me, I like to say this, you know, so when it says all in the Greek, that means all. So it means all. Okay? All is still all. So if it, if it can be interpreted literally as we're reading through, uh, then we need to interpret it literally. And words and grammar matter. So the words matter. One of the interesting things that we're going to see as we learn how to do an expositional study is we're going to take a look at these words and I will guarantee you, because we're going to do a couple of, we'll, we'll do a little testing here amongst the group, and what we'll see is that a word means something 
to Linda and something different to Steve. The same word. Because of where you come from, what you what your definition of that word is, your life experiences, and there's all kinds of things that go into pouring meaning into a word. And so when we go through this process, when you really start to study, you've got to think your way through this just a little bit. What does that word mean? And I think you were looking at that. Uh, didn't you tell me last week that Richie ruined your life because you guys were talking about prayer last week? And it changed everything for you, didn't it? That's awesome. It sort of confirmed everything. <laughs> confirmed everything. But, it, but, it's, but it changes. Now all of a sudden, prayer went bingo. I mean, it just, it just expanded. I, I love talking to you about that last week, Tyler, because it, that's exactly what happens. It, ha- it happens all the time. When you, when you come to, to, to understand the meaning of a, of a word that, that, that God used, and you can see how the translators had some real challenges on their hands, didn't they? Because we're going to be reading a letter that was originally not written in English, and the translators had to, had to, to really work at at translating this into English so that as we use the NIV which is a, a which is a translation that is that is a thought for thought translation not a word for word translation so the thought from the original writers is contained in English in, in, in our translation and that can be a real challenge so all of a sudden words and grammar matter they really matter but it's really simple because where it can be interpreted quite literally. We just take it literally and, and, and a lot of this letter is that way. A lot of it's that way. And we also have to take a look at interpretation being um, in unity. What does that mean? What is being in, in unity with what? The rest of Scripture. So what we have to do is we have to take a look at this and we have to see that it's, you know, like the Bereans, you remember the story of the Bereans? The Bereans were willing to listen, and so, you know, there was an apostle there who was teaching them all kinds of things, and they were very gracious and accepting all the teaching. And they said, cool, see you tomorrow. And then they went, they went back, and they opened, up, they opened up Scripture and said, does this line up? And they had to get comfortable with it lining up. Okay? Otherwise, you can teach anything you want. Anybody can teach anything they want and make it say anything they want. If you don't use these basic, basic rules of interpreting God's word. And of course, I think one of the most important things is what you pointed out, Betty. And that is, I think that when you start to get into study, not just reading, although it helps when you're just reading too. But when you start to get into study, you need to be in the spirit. Meaning, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Ask God to reveal stuff to you. And I guarantee you that he will reveal things. You've all had this experience where you're reading scripture and you've read something multiple times before and all of a sudden you go, holy cow, I've never seen that. No, you've seen it. You just weren't in that place. God, God was prepared and had been preparing you to reveal something to you. Uh, had this discussion with, with Wes. I remember standing right out here. Right next to the bathroom because we were doing a suppository study. <laughs> <laughs> we were standing right next to the bathroom, and this man comes in and says, "Man, this is unbelievable. I've been a Christian my whole life. No, remember what you said? I thought I was a Christian." He said, "Because man, up here I had it. 
man, I, I, I like Scripture. I understood it. I had been going to church kind of off and on. And all of a sudden, you just started reading Scripture. And God just convicted you. And all of a sudden, you just went off, didn't you? He was so excited, he couldn't put it down. It was like, man, there's stuff in here I've never seen before. No, you had seen it. You just, you just weren't ready. And so, and that's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we go through this, I think that's really important. And our objective really is to, is to do this study and get out of it what God intends. Amen? Which is what we should be doing anytime that we study Scripture. I'm hoping that we're going to stimulate a lot of discussion. So I'm hoping that what, what we're going to get, and we've been comfortable now. We've been doing this for quite a while. I mean, it's just like family, right? So... Uh, so uh, it's not a, a teachy thing. What it really is, is it's a, it's a discussion, it's a dialogue, and I'm hoping that over the next few weeks that we come with questions, we scratch our head, and we, and we do things like, like um, I mean, there are some of us in this room, I don't want to mention any names, but initially it would be like Kathy Bodycomb. She's willing, uh, you know, I love you. But Kathy, what I like about Kathy is she's willing to say, wait a minute. You know, and then we and that opens up some dialogue and some discussion. And as long as we as long as we stay focused here, right? And as long as we do that, that's huge contribution. And I think everybody here can make a contribution to this expositional study of, of this this letter of First John. And so then, of course, what I hope to do is I hope to take and put into practice the things that we learn. What does what does James one twenty two say all the time? We we hear it. We're from the pulpit here all the time. James 1.22 says, don't just be hearers, be doers. Because if we don't do anything with it, what's the point? Now, I take that quite literally. So, man, when we learn something, I don't know about you, but I get all jazzed up about, how can I put that into practice? And there's, I got a whole bunch, I don't know about you, I got a whole bunch more to learn that I can put into practice. A whole bunch more. A whole bunch more. So every time I do... Uh, I, I like to say, okay, how can I do this? How can I, how does this relate to my life? How can I put it into practice? What am I going to do with it? And this book is full of a lot of good things that we can do stuff with. Yeah. So, um, what we're going to do is we're going to come with open hearts and open minds. Um, we're going to come with, uh, with uh, hopefully, the idea of, of participating, because I think that's important. And I think that we're going to take a look at Scripture, and we're going to let Scripture prove itself up. Although I love commentaries, we're going to do almost no commentary. We're going to let Scripture speak for itself. This is a wonderful epistle that is pretty direct, pretty clear, pretty simple, but pretty profound in the message that it has for us. And so we're going to let Scripture speak for itself as we, as we go through this study. Nothing wrong with commentaries. I have a plethora of them <laughs> by all kinds of people. And you've heard me say before, when I, when I study, what I like to do is I, I have commentaries from different perspectives. And it drives me crazy sometimes to, to read a commentary of somebody that I would completely disagree with that comes from a, like a, a really um, a liberal point of view. Or in some cases, uh, for some of you that are persuaded this way, maybe even a, a, a reformed point of view that makes that challenges me, but I, I'm, I, I get stuck because I can't, I, I don't buy into the commentator's um, position or point of view. <laughs> and when I read his commentary, I'm scared because I think it's, I think it's sharp by, by doing that. But always we have to go like we have to go back to scripture. What does scripture say? So you know, what I say or what or, or what, what 
Susan says, or what any commentator says, as long as it as long as it aligns with Scripture, uh, I, I think we're good to go. And we also have to understand that there will be some things that are not essential that it's totally okay to disagree on, because quite frankly, those are the areas where nobody has the answer. <laughs> but I've read a lot of commentators that say they do. They say they have the answer, but I wonder. I just wonder. So we have to extend a lot of grace when we're, especially in a group like this where we come from lots of different different backgrounds, right? So that's important. Um, so I think learning and studying and discussing and questioning and even arguing. You know, arguing is okay. It's not a sin. To argue is okay. Provided that we do it in the appropriate way. It's like apologetics. What is apologetics? Well, we're going to see. This is an apologetic letter. So, John is writing to a church, and he's not. Apologetics doesn't mean he's apologizing. What it means is is that he is presenting the truth in love. That's what he's presenting, so that that the the reader then can make up their own mind what they want to do with it. And I can assure you that there are people that read this letter that John wrote some 2,000 years ago or so and they read it and said bad hogwash you know they did because they had already wandered off and they were following some other some other teaching and they had been convinced because there was probably some charismatic guy that was in the church and, and he had pulled them away from the truth and they weren't willing they just weren't they just weren't willing and most people that aren't willing to seek the truth is, is the reason is they've, they've already made up their mind and they're not willing they're not they're just not willing okay good thing about us is that I I know each one of you and, and I know that if, if there was ever a willing group this is some willing group so we got to be willing to search the scriptures to to understand what God is is, is speaking to us so we're going to meander through this, and we're going to do it together. And I think we're going to have some. I think we're going to have a good time. So, who wrote the book of First John? Is it a book or is it a letter? It's a letter. Why do we call it a book? How many books in the Bible? How many? I don't ever want to hear that again. Sorry. Um, why do we call it a book? They're all called tradition. Because they're all called tradition. Okay. Alright, let's get it through our head. We're going to be taking a look at this epistle. An epistle is a literary form in a letter. This is a letter. Okay? And so, uh, and who wrote it? John. How do you know? <laughs> who said so? What's, what book says so? This book. Which book? This book. Where? This is the left where it says first year. Okay, so you've been around a little bit. So Susan says that they, who's they? Well, the scholars. Okay, so you can open your Bible if you'd like to, to, to this letter. And it's in the back there somewhere. <laughs> in the back of the Old Testament, right? Okay. Nineteen twenty-six. Mine's on nineteen oh seven. So we're reading out of a different book. But, so, so you say that John wrote wrote this letter. My my question is, how do you know? 
That's not a good enough answer, Tim. I'm sorry. That, it's, that it says First John. That's not a good enough answer. Because I'm a skeptic, dude. I'm not sure where you're coming from, man. So how do you know that John wrote this letter? You know it wasn't written by Ernie. Okay, Ernie didn't write it. He was there, but he didn't write it. <laughs> <laughs> the cave was cold. Mine says the first, second, and John was written by John. So you have a commentator that says first, second, and third John were written by yeah. So the commentator, according to Mark, we have to use what we what we have. And there's people that are a lot smarter than than me, like pretty much everybody. Um, but but we see in this particular letter when we get into it that nowhere in this letter does it say that John. Hey, I'm John. Writing the letter. Hey guys, by the way, nice. I hope you're doing good. This is John here. We don't yeah. see that anywhere in this letter. Although we see that, we see it in the in the Gospel of John. We see it in John's second epistle. That would be Second John, and we see it in Third John, and we see it in Fourth John. No, there's not Fourth John. But we, we see the other epistles where he identifies himself. This one doesn't. But it says here that much of the language is similar to the Gospel of John. Okay, so there was a process. Really, of elimination, and when we start looking at the first at the verses here, we're gonna we're gonna get a real clue because we're gonna see that it's the same literary style, and a lot of the same words are used, and there's a there's a clear indication, and even to the point where in this first epistle, John uses the uh, a, a plural, and he says, and we he's gonna he's gonna use we a lot. And he's going to identify the we as eyewitnesses. And we start narrowing down how many eyewitnesses there were that could be apostolic in nature that could write this letter. The point is, is that there was a process that was used, a process, frankly, of elimination and discernment to get to the point where we understand that actually the Apostle John wrote this, wrote this letter. But on the surface, it does not say so. Okay. It's not scripture. It's not really written the way it's in the Bible anyway. Didn't they put it? They put it together so that it's more readable. We're and, and we're gonna we're gonna see that one of the first things we do when we when we look at it, starting with the first four verses of John that we're gonna get the first John that we're gonna get to tonight. We're gonna see a little bit about literary style. We're gonna see about the translation uh, challenges in converting from the Greek to the to the English, and we're gonna we're gonna see a number of those things uh, because they 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 end up being important as we set the foundation for how to really. Uh, uh, to do a self Bible study as we as we as we get into this, so uh, so we have literary style, we have language, we have the audience who he was writing the letter to. That that kind of helps us understand that, that John wrote the <coughs> letter, even though he didn't identify himself uh, as as such. Um, and uh, and it's interesting because we call this epistle a letter, but when we start looking at it, it all it doesn't read like a letter. But it was clearly a letter. We're going to see that John wrote this letter. There's a very, there's a very specific purpose, a very specific audience that he wrote to, and it is clearly a letter. But when you look at it and you compare it to the other epistles that are in the Bible, it doesn't read like a letter. In fact, it reads more like a sermon. Hey, y'all! Bam! He just goes right at it. 
Okay. <laughs> sort of All right. um, so there are some interesting challenges as we take a look at this at this at this letter, and, and you know, by way of introduction, it's important to understand these things because we're trying to understand, you know, the, the historical context and and um, uh, the, the language context, the audience context, and the, and the context of the message. It's important to understand all those things. Is it important that we know who wrote the letter? Yes. Why? Why? Why would it be important? Okay, validity. What else? Well, I think looking at these first four verses, he's trying to show his credentials, verify what his background is, and the only one that could do that would be in one of the disciples. He established his credibility. Yeah, this is really interesting because now, you know, let's think about this. We're going to start looking at this letter, um, and there's some pretty direct language. He's, he has a pretty direct message, and so, uh, you know, when, when you pick something up to read it, don't you kind of want to know what the background is of the person that is the author? Because I, I don't know about you, but I read some stuff, and I say, this dude's got no creds in my mind. There's no credibility here whatsoever. He's just like flying off the handle. And then you do a little research into who the author is and you find out, I can't read this. <laughs> you know, I just can't. Because it doesn't, it doesn't come with any authority. And so we're going to see that, that John writes from a position of authority. And that, that, becomes, that becomes pretty important. Now remember, he's writing this to an audience that doesn't have 2,000 years of history. We can pick this book up and, and we have a tremendous amount of history, okay? Because 2,000 years have passed. We're looking at it backwards. They were in the present. So I always like to, to look at, at scripture and especially a letter like this and say, okay, I'm getting it, God. What are you telling me? But it's also from a context point of view important to understand, hey, what about those people that were reading it? What, kind of where were they? What was going on? It's important to understand that as well. And I think that God will reveal more things to us as we understand even the historical context. And so, uh, so it is important. And so is it important when the letter was written? Yeah, I think for the same, for the same basic reason, uh, reasons. So we know that, that John wrote... Um, he wasn't as prolific a writer in the scriptures as Paul was, for example. But what, what, did, what did John write in the, in the Bible? What did he author? Excuse me? The Gospel of John. What else? Revelation. That's very cool. He identifies himself very clearly there, doesn't he? And, of course, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as we, would, as we would call it, right? Anything else? Couldn't that help for you to identify as to who wrote it? By going back to the book of John, because a lot of what was said there also Oh, yeah. So it becomes very clear as we cross-reference, which we'll do a lot of over the next few weeks. We're going to cross-reference because we have to see that, like the Bereans, we want to see um, the scripture support itself. Mm -hmm. part, as far as the timeline, we would want to make sure the guy's alive when they say all that stuff is important. It, it, it brings credibility, uh, authenticity, uh, authority. So it becomes pretty important. So we see that this book uh, was, was written somewhere, sometime around 90 AD. And, and, so, and if you do a little bit of research, we find out that the Gospel of John was written 
we don't know exactly, but maybe five, six, seven years earlier. So this, so think about that. So, so John wrote his gospel, and now he's writing a letter. There may have been other writings that we that we're not aware of, but but he wrote this letter to the church because there's a problem, there's an issue, and we're going to see what he's going to be addressing here in terms of why he wrote it. And um, and so so this came uh, after after he wrote his his gospel, the Gospel of John, and. Um, and so, and he was probably in Ephesus because he spent most of the last part of his life in Ephesus, although it doesn't say that. It, it's, we don't know exactly where he wrote it from. But the best guess is, is probably from the city of Ephesus, which was a pretty important place. Where was Ephesus? Remember, anybody? It, it, well, it's, it's, Turkey didn't exist then, though, Ernie. <laughs> didn't you have something to do with that? No, no. I, I didn't name it. <laughs> Ephesus was. Does it matter? Asia Minor. It was a very, very important place in the historical context and the time. And so if we understand then not only geographically where, where this is taking place, we have a good idea if we want to go even deeper, which we're not going to do. But if we wanted to go even deeper into the history of the region, it brings even, even uh, more significant understanding. And so I, I, think that that's, um, I, I think that's like the next course. And we're not mm-hmm. going to do that um, uh, this time. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and uh, by the way, just as a just as a, a sidebar, um, he also wrote the book of Revelation. Where was he when, when he wrote that? Remember, the Isles of Patmos. And you remember why he was there? Anybody? Because he was prison. He was in prison. He was exiled to this to this island. <laughs> you know. So Rome said, "Away you go." And uh, so off he went to this to this place, and then God used him. Not incredible. So God God used hit that time uh, to, to reveal things to him that blow our minds. Mm. Right? He wrote the book of Revelation. And um, all of that revealed... That must have been one incredible experience mm. that this man had. He's just a man. Just John. Okay? Might as well be Dale. It's, but he's just John. Okay? Mm. But God used him in this, in this way. Anyway, he wrote, uh, he wrote that. And then, and then after... He, then he left that island, didn't he? And he returned to, guess where? Ephesus. <laughs> where, where he lived out his days. You remember how, remember how John died? Remember the difference between John and, and the rest of the apostles? He what? He had, he had a natural death. Yeah. The only one that did. Interesting. Very interesting. Just an interesting side, side note. Um, so, so who was he writing to? Do you know? The church. The church. Now we have to be a little more specific than that because the church would have been pretty good size at this point. Church in the, Okay, the church. Is, did you say that authoritatively or with a question mark? With a question mark. Okay. So, so, so somebody has proffered up <laughs> that. Uh, the church in Ephesus? <laughs> so, so you have that emphasis on the last on the last syllable there, right? So the church in Ephesus? Anybody know? Well, who he was writing to? Who was the audience? 
Well, believers for sure. Absolutely. Believers. Any other ideas? Mm. <laughs> well, it was someone that was being misled. Clearly. There was a schism in the church, and we're going to see that in a minute. And he was writing to the church, but was it was it like a church or the church? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Somebody, somebody has an electronic uh, common, uh, commentator. Oh, no. Marky, Marky, Marky. No, I'm not sure about this, but I, I think that in many cases like this, when someone like John would write a letter like this, it was for the purpose of being circulated among the churches. Because he was getting, there was a broad issue that was going on in many churches, and I'm not just writing to Thessalonica or to Ephesus, but it's a generic letter to Christians that would have been circulated among the churches. Absolutely, and so it would be, uh, if, 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 if hypothetically, um, if there were if there were a strong Bible-believing, Christ-centered churches in a place, oh, somewhere on the planet, maybe like Ojai, and and there was a problem, and the problem was that false teachers had entered in and had pulled some people away. Okay. And and there were and it was not it was not good it was not healthy um, and uh, and the apostle uh, got word of it and decided that uh, boy he better he better write a letter mm-hmm. and so he wrote a letter and he addressed it to the church and it got circulated around because um, you know because we're kind of backwards here and we don't have internet or anything yet. Uh, so what would happen is it would get it'd be copies and, and they would and it was or even one singular letter would be would be distributed around the churches and so and so what most commentators believe is that this was a generic letter to the church in and around Asia Minor and you kind of have to leave it at that but I could have gone out to a pretty wide area a pretty wide area and and so and why did he write the letter anybody know Mark. I'm channeling my wife. You're channeling your wife? Okay, how, does, how does that... Is there a fee for that? <laughs> no, it comes out for 40 some odd years. Okay. <laughs> so it's just a human nature. I think it's an important distinction. The, the, the uh, example that you, got, that you just gave, point well taken. But I think even in this time frame in the late first century, that there would have still likely have just been one church in a town, you know. So I think a better analogy is there was, you know, heretical teaching going on or that kind of stuff in Southern California, <coughs> church county, you know, something like that, where you know there weren't denominational churches and right. there were a bunch of churches in Ephesus. I think there was a church in Ephesus and multiple gatherings, but it was not Ephesus and Laodicea and Thessalonica. Right. I think that's just a little bit of a distinction that contextually back then. Good, good point. That's actually a, that's, that's, a, that's a good point and a, and a much better analogy because we see we still think about it, don't we, in terms of, of uh, our personal experience. And so and so so you're right. You know, having having spent um, you know an hour and a half at the at the Presbyterian Church today, you know, I'm 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 in recovery. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
I love that church now. For those of you who know, you know my dad was a Presbyterian church for many, many years, and and, uh, and and he was a deacon there. And his in his role, all he wanted to do was he wanted to be the deacon in in charge of of, of facility maintenance, making sure that that church was 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 beautified. And my my dad spent 15 years single-handedly making sure that everything was just dialed in at that, at that place. And, uh, and he did it in a real humble way. He didn't want no recognition, no nothing. He just, if something needed to be done, they gave him the authority to do it. He just made it happen. And, um, and so, and of course, I love that. that it's such a beautiful building. And, and, uh, and of course, and, and I love you, Pastor Jeff, just in case mm-hmm. he doesn't. Um, but so anyway, good analogy. Thank you for that. Now, why was the letter written? We've had a little bit of a clue, and we've every one of us at one point in time has read this 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 book of the Bible, which is really an epistle, which is a letter that went out to to, to the church um, uh, in this in this region uh, and was and was spread around. Why? Pardon me? Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're, oh, you're way up there. So you're going down the Gnosticism route. So there was this, there was this, 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 actually this is the beginning. See, I told you. So now we have... So yes, so there was a beginning of of of, of Gnosticism, which was a which was we'll look at in a minute, uh, because there was it was a it was a teaching, it was a false teaching, it was a, it was in error, uh, and we're going to look at that in just a little bit because that was a that was a big reason, and there was this whole thing that matter is is evil, and our bodies are are matter, and even Jesus was in a body, so there was these people that were denying. Uh, everything from the deity of Jesus Christ to, to you name it, we're going to look at that because that was an important part. So yes, that was one of the reasons that this that this uh, letter was was written. What else? There's a lot of reference to sin. Okay, sin and righteousness. Yeah, there's so sin and righteousness, good and evil. Um, um, we we see uh, if you if you've read this letter before, there there are a number of things that are going that are going on. The primary thing, however, is this false teaching, because there was this teaching that was leading people astray. And so we see that as Paul, Paul I think it was John, right? So we see as John is writing this letter, you can see in and through his style. Just read the Gospel of John. Why do we always send people that are new believers, or they're not believers yet, they're seekers, and we say, you probably ought to read the book of John. Why do we send them there? It's easier to read. It's easier to read. He has has such a style. He's just, he's clear and concise and and, and pretty direct, and it's it's, it's just easy. He gets to the point, even. And so... Uh, so we see that there that there were people that were that were pulling the church apart. So there was this false teaching that was that was in error, and he is a and John was. I mean, this guy had a pastor's heart. You can see it in the words that he he cared. He loved he loved the church. There was relationship. Even we're going to see as we get into this that Paul had a relationship with the church, and they really depended on him. They were really dependent on on his. Apostolic teaching and, and and his credibility as as an apostle and and uh, we even see uh, in just a minute we're going to get into the first couple of verses and we're going to see that he even he even 
uh, addresses the, 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 the credibility that he has. But, but the church already knew this. But who didn't know it were the people that were that were doing the that, that were being led astray. And so I think that you're going to see that the purpose for this letter is quite familiar to many of us. And the familiarity is that something wrong was going on in the church. It was, it was just wrong. There was a school of thought that had infiltrated. They hadn't set up camp outside. They had infiltrated the church and there was teaching that was, that was in error and, and John is, is crushed by this. It's like, oh my goodness. I mean, he loved the church. It was, it was everything to him. And so he had to write this letter because the church was being splintered. It was being torn apart. Gnosticism. That, um, that of course, Candy is going to tell us all about. No. And <laughs> like today's church. And Gnosticism is a, is a, is a big topic all in the, uh, of its own. But it was a false teaching, right. in essence. To, to keep it simple, right? It was a false teaching. And so what was happening, the teaching that was going on, in fact, we're going to see... That, that in this teaching, um, uh, uh, John is talking about the light versus the darkness. He's talking about loving the world versus doing the will of God. That's a, hello, <laughs> that one's for us. Wait, they both are. Light versus dark, uh, loving the world or, 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 or being in and doing the, the, the will of God, obedience and disobedience. Things that we deal with. This is real world stuff that we deal with. So don't transport yourself back 2,000 years and say, that was for them. This is alive and breathing. This is for us. It's happening in and amongst us right now. And so the big one, of course, was truth versus falsehood. There was false teaching. And so these, these Gnostics, that if they didn't even really know that it was that yet. It was the beginning of Gnosticism. But what they were doing was, and we're going to see in, in, uh, in chapter 2, that they were denying that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. So everybody here says, how ridiculous is that? But they were denying that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They were denying that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Just like today. The, the really interesting thing about this group of people that had infiltrated the church and were saying, no, Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh. Well, wait a minute. Wasn't he just here? <laughs> we're, we're talking to... John was an eye... The apostles were hanging out with them. What part did, what didn't they get here? Maybe they didn't meet Jesus personally, but they're talking to people who did. That's pretty credible. But no... They were denying that Jesus came in the flesh. They were denying his authority. And they were denying that they had to obey any of his commands. Certainly his deity was being denied. So they were denying that he was God. And so I, I wrote these denials down that I, as I was, as I was uh, going through this. And so they even denied their own sinfulness. They denied salvation. By the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that it was by grace through faith in Christ alone. They denied that completely. Um, they denied that Jesus was the example on which we should be living our lives. They should be living their lives. They denied that he was the example. 
Um, they even denied the fellowship in the community of believers, being in the family of God. And John is going to talk a lot about that, being in the family of God. Something that we just take for granted, don't we? But we love this God. We love to come to church and we, we talk about fellowship, um, which is, of course, not coffee and donuts. But that's part of it, but that's not what it is. And, uh, and they, were de- they were denying uh, any of that. They even denied John. They denied that he had the authority as an apostle to teach. Well, remember, doesn't that sound familiar? Deny, 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 deny. How many times have we been confronted in the 21st century alone of people that would deny, 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 deny. They do not accept the authority of Scripture. They just don't. Because, man, it makes it so easy to do whatever y'all want. Isn't that the truth? And we see it all the time. We talk about it around here all the time. And we talk about the false teaching. We talk about cults. We talk about other world world religions. Um, and, And we see that it all starts with a denial of authority. Because once you can deny authority, I mean, there are churches that would say that we are followers of Jesus, but we hate the church, and we but we don't like everything that Jesus said, so we're only going to comply with some of the stuff he said because we like that part. But, but where do you get off doing that? That's what was happening here. This has been going on for a really long time. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. And so, so as we as we jump in. We have to understand that for many, not us, but for many, denial is where they start from. It's an authority issue. And that's what gets the church in trouble. The churches that John was writing to and this one. It doesn't matter the church. When it starts with the denial of the authority of Scripture, they were denying the authority of Jesus. They were denying the authority of even John as, a, as an apostle and a teacher. But we have 2,000 years of history, and once we get into the denial business, we're doomed. We're just doomed, aren't we? Because that's how we can make the same thing we want. Okay? That's how we can do it. So, let's... Let's, um, I'll tell you what, um, let's do this. You pray. Mark, will, will you do me a favor? I didn't ask you permission. Will you just stand up? Would you pray that as we get into the Word of God, that, that God's Spirit would reveal to us what He would have for, for each of us throughout this whole study as we get into First John? <clears throat> oh, gosh, Lord, we do... We come to you because you are alive. You are truth. You are light. Uh, and you are that in us and you are that among us. When we come together as believers to uh, grow, to be changed in the deepest parts of our hearts and our lives and our choices, our thinking, our behavior. Uh, and when it comes through teaching, it comes through the Instruction and teaching is your spirit inside of us. It comes through what we learn from one another. Uh, and certainly comes through your word. Um, so Lord, we ask you to uh, 
pour your spirit out. Um, not just in the evenings that we're together, but through the course of the week as we read First John, as we dwell on the things that we have uh, heard, the things that we talk about, and the things that we read in this uh, letter. Um, and would you just reveal to us your truth? Would you reveal to us the, how this applies in our lives, how it can and, and uh, if we will allow you, Lord, make a difference in our lives and change who we are. Um, so just come uh, the times when we're together and come in each of us during the week as we spend time in First John and do what only you can do. Reveal your truth through your scripture. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Um, I, was, I was reminded uh, just yesterday uh, that that really, if uh, John is going to be dealing with a, a, a bunch of lies, really, um, and so one of the things that's important, even for us today, is that we have to be careful because if something is not the truth, it necessarily then is what a lie, okay? And so and so we have to be we have to deal with with with, with counterfeits all the time. And so I was just reminded, uh, and so I, I thought I would I thought I would do something, and, and this may be for, for uh, Scott's benefit more than anybody else. But what I what I decided to do is one of the things that's important is that we need to be we need to be in God's word so regularly that as soon as somebody says something that is outside of of the pale of orthodoxy here, meaning it, it's outside of this, we go, Are you kidding me? Where did you get that from? Because we're just we, we just we just know it well enough. You don't have to be a scholar for that. You just have to be in God's word and and praying that 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 the Holy Spirit would reveal to us. So what I did was I said that that and, and I I wanted to have an example for that because I learned this from from um, from well, I got my favorite pastors anyway. One pastor that I I'm familiar with uh, he uses a lot of uh, uh, he has props and stuff. Yeah, I always like props. I was never good at it, but I decided to make one. I decided to make one because there's there's a there's there's a truth and then there's a counterfeit, isn't there? And so what I decided to do is I decided to, to show you something. I'm going to show you two things, and you're going to be able to see it pretty clearly from where you are. But I'll give it to Scotty because because I know he'll appreciate this more than than the rest of you. Um, and and you're going to be able to see instantly because you're so familiar. You're so familiar with what a $10 bill looks like that when you see the other $10 bill, you're going to know it's a counterfeit. Whose picture is on the wrong? Which one? On the counterfeit. Looks like my friend Obama. Oh, yeah. So I guess I guess Barack Obama is not the picture on the $10 bill, so they would have a hard time passing that one to go to go buy anything, wouldn't they? At least for So. Anyway, I don't know. I thought it was funny. You can't touch it. It's a real $10 bill down there. Yeah, I know. I got that on my wife's purse. I asked her. The point is, the point is, don't take the penalty. The point is, is that when you're so familiar with something, the counterfeit is so blatant. It is so blatantly obvious, isn't it? Yeah. So, so with that, <laughs> yes, I did. So with that, let's. Do you have an NIV? Okay, Susan, open up to. If you're not at First John already, let's open up to First John, the first chapter, the first four verses, 
And Susan Rowland is going to stand up here and point your direction and read it out of the NIV. Okay, ready, begin. No, we're not going to read it together, but she's going to read the first four verses. Okay. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Okay, so there is an expositional study of this letter that is about to start taking place. Okay, and an exposition is what again? An explanation. An interpretation of the text. So, <coughs> important to understand. In the Greek, the first four verses of this letter from John to the church is one sentence. So now, having said that, in our brains, we have to now try to wrap our brains around the challenge of the translators who had to take the message in the Greek, which is a very flowery, flower, can I say that? flowery? Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Flowery language, very descriptive. Words used are, are, I mean, English is terrible, really, when you stop and think about it, uh, compared to a lot of other languages. But the Greek is like beautiful. I mean, words mean something, and you know what they mean when they. And, and in English, you say, uh, you know, you say a word, and it has like. 40 meanings. It's just crazy. So they had to take one sentence to try to convey the message. Okay, just so you know. Interesting challenge by way of exposition. What is being conveyed? One sentence, and we have four verses. One sentence. What's the message that's being conveyed that you just read? They what? Okay, so who was witnesses to Jesus? We. We! Oh, we were witnesses. That's fascinating. Who was the we? All those other guys. Yeah, okay. So we know who wrote the letter. And then he didn't say, and there was, it wasn't first person singular, all of a sudden grammar matters. It, now it's plural, we. We were hanging with Jesus, Les. Who was we? At least the apostles. We know that from some of the other writings. We're going to look at that in a minute. Okay. What else? Many others. Okay, what else is being conveyed here in this? That he is God. That Jesus was God. That Jesus was God? Yeah. Hmm. That Jesus was from the beginning. Because it says that which was from the beginning, which means it was already in existence, that Jesus was already in existence with the creation. Okay, okay, well, we're going to come back to that in a second, because that's a good one. Okay, so we have the we, meaning plural, were with him, eyewitnesses, hung with him, it says so right there. Okay, what else? Because they're touching him, seeing him, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the clues, you know. Well, it's like they're they're giving a testimony in front of a courtroom and saying, okay, this is the evidence. Okay. All right. Okay. Good. What else do you see? What else do you see? Four, four verses, one sentence in the Greek. What else do you see here that's being conveyed? The word of life. Okay. What else? God is life. God is life. What else? Okay. Cool. There's one word that's repeated twice that is the whole that is the whole thrust behind. Fellowship. That's not the one I'm looking for. Eternal. It's there. What? Eternal. No. Why? What's he doing? He's proclaiming. There is a proclamation being made here. He starts this letter to the churches by saying, Man, we're proclaiming. And then he's proclaiming everything that y'all just said. You just read it. It is a proclamation. What's a proclamation, by the way? It's an announcement. A public declaration or announcement of stuff. Here's the stuff of this letter. This letter starts out as a proclamation. And it, now a proclamation is strong. We're used to having proclamations and resolutions and things. And these are, they're quite formal. So there's a formality all of a sudden to this letter. And John is saying, we proclaim. But before he proclaims anything, let's go back to verse 1, Scotty. And what is the, what is the first part of verse 1 say? This is that which was. That which was from the beginning. What? What in the world does that mean? That which was from the beginning. Just what it says. What? From the beginning. But what is that? Okay, from the beginning. What's the beginning? And what's the that? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. How do you know that? Okay, awesome. So now what we have in our self-study of this epistle, if you have a study Bible, you're going to have some cross-reference notes. I don't know about yours, but in mine, it says that which was from the beginning. Then there's a little A. And the A right here in the center section says, go to John. So we should probably go to John for some cross-reference. Let's see what John's gospel says about that. John 1, verses 1 and 2. So just go back to the Gospel of John and let's see what that says. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Get in the right book here and I'll be in good shape. So, John 1, 1 and 2 says, Diana just quoted it. She didn't even need a Bible. She's got it all memorized. It says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In 1 John, he writes this letter, and he starts out, that which was from the beginning. What's the that? (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? That, all of a sudden, is Jesus. Pretty easy, actually. Pretty simple. Now, it's fascinating to me that we can read this and without having a little bit of study, if you were a brand new Christian and you opened this book and you said that which was from the beginning, 
would you have any clue what John is talking about? Not if you didn't cross reference. Probably not. Probably not. He would be reminiscent of the first thing of the Old Testament. Okay. Genesis. What, well, where, where are some other beginnings in the Bible? In the beginning. What? In the, in the beginning. Well, let's turn to Genesis 1 1 then for a second. As long as you want to take a second. So, Genesis 1 1. Because apparently Diana has the New Testament memorized and Timmy has the Old Testament memorized. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. And so Genesis 1 1 says what? Okay, you can stop. In the beginning, God, I always like to stop right there. In the beginning, God, okay, but in the beginning was the beginning. Because there was a beginning before God did what? There was a beginning before he created. Now, we, we looked at this when we were looking at the attributes of God. We, we looked at the fact that, that God didn't have a beginning. Okay? And so, um, I can't explain that. I know that Linda can. And she's going to after. Anybody that like Can't you? Anybody that would like to say after? There's a long, she has a long dissertation that she's written on this. I, I don't have the slightest idea how to even begin to approach the words to say that God didn't have a beginning. Because I can't, I can't fathom it. I don't, I don't know. I believe, but I, I, I just don't know. So the other beginning was in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. And then he created. So God just is. And then John, in his epistle, just so chooses to use that same idea that he used in his gospel in the beginning that came from the very first words of Genesis in the beginning. And so we see in First John the idea of that which was from the beginning. And now we know that the that is Jesus. Jesus. Was from the beginning. And how do we know then that that's what he's talking about? Besides what we just read through the scriptures validating it. Context. Mark's prayer. Okay, we're, we're using it. We're, we're starting to use all the tools that God's given us. The context is what? Look at the rest of it. That which was from the beginning. We just said, okay, Jesus. Then look. He says, which we. Now, which we is used several times in, this, in these passages. One sentence. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked at and, and our hands have touched. We're proclaiming this Jesus, which we have done all these things with. Because, see, we don't even know yet that the issue is that he's going to be writing this letter and talking about this false teaching that is denying Jesus. We don't know that quite yet. He's setting the tone. Okay? We've got to be careful because we're, we're trying to do an expositional study of this letter, but see... Most of us have cheated and we've read ahead, and so we know, but the, but, but the audience then didn't know. And see, that makes it exciting to me because he is now setting the tone for what this whole letter is going to be about. It's about Jesus in the beginning that we hung out with. That's what he's talking about. I find it real interesting to go over what they said here and what John said, how they identified the he really goes to the three main senses of learning. 
Wow. Three ways we learn, and God, through the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, using the Apostle John, just a regular dude like us, to use the three main ways that we as human beings learn in the first part of this letter. See, hear, touch. Fascinating. So now, but simple, but simple. It's really simple. When you stop to think about it, it's really simple. But how many times do we take it to this, to this level and say, I wonder, what's he trying to convey here? Because we read it and then we go on, don't we? We read it and then we go on. But if we take out just a little bit of time, and who's in a hurry anyway? <laughs> who's in a hurry? What's the point of getting in a hurry? So we get to the next thing? I don't know. I think when you get in a hurry, we miss stuff. It seems like it makes it really powerful, though, too, if you take that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, and that which was from the beginning, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. So it seems like each individualizing it, taking the time to, to do that. Well, here's the crazy thing, because if you take a look at what is being what is being conveyed here, John is saying, hey, we were with Jesus Christ. And if you read the rest of this, and we're going to look at this a little, a little closer here in just a second, uh, that, that Jesus Christ as God manifest in the flesh. Okay. Hey, Jesus is God and he was here and we are eyewitnesses to all this stuff that he was doing. Now, you know, we're, 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 we're putting in a lot of things here because we, we have knowledge they, that they didn't quite have at this, at this point. But the point is, is that he's a credible eyewitness and he's an apostle. And he's saying that, hey, we're with Jesus. Jesus is God. And so, how, and, and so how do we know that? Because, in fact, he's proclaiming this to them. He repeats it three different times. Mm-hmm. And then he says, um, so we, why is he proclaiming this to them, by the way? Why is he proclaiming this Jesus which, that, that they had a personal relationship with, that they had personal fellowship with, that was, that was real and tactile? Why, why, is, why are they proclaiming this? What's the point of the proclamation? To establish his validity. Huh? To establish the validity of who he is in writing this letter. Okay. It establishes uh, who he is in writing this letter. But he says that in, in verse 3, just take a look at verse 3 again. A little clue. So he says, we proclaim to you. Why? No. So that they can have fellowship. That's what it says in verse 3. We're proclaiming this so that you can have fellowship with us. The we's that that you pointed out. Okay? What's being inferred? Yeah! The, the inference here is, is that, hey, man, we're proclaiming this to you. This is the real deal. This is the truth. This is what happened. This is who Jesus is. And this is what was going on. And we're proclaiming this to you because, you see, he already knew, John already knew, that some people have been sucked out of the church by this false teaching. He's going to get to that in a minute. But he's saying that so that you can have fellowship with us, inferring that if you are outside of the faith, you can't have fellowship with us. Whoa. Whoa. See, not everybody's going to heaven, guys. Okay, you can't get there from, from, from this place. What this is saying is, by inference, 
that John is saying that there are people that are in fellowship. We're proclaiming these truths to you so that we can be in fellowship, in community. We're here in church. This is the church family. This, we are children of God together. But those that have bailed out and are believing this other stuff, the, 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 you know, that are denying the deity of Jesus Christ, we're going to see in a minute. And all these things that they're denying, they, they are being fed lies and they're believing it. They are outside of the fellowship. Whoa. See, that's powerful for people. And I know, you know, I know pastors that just want to love everybody. Don't, don't you want to just love everybody? We're told to love everybody. We're commanded to love everybody. But John says, we're not in fellowship with everybody. Now, all of a sudden, it becomes pretty important to understand what fellowship is. Because it's not coffee and donuts. As much as we all like it. <laughs> It's not. So, so really this third verse simply means that. It's not complicated. You're either in fellowship or you're not. And it's powerful and even scary because there are people that we know that would even consider themselves to, to be Christians. But they're outside the fellowship. They are outside of the fellowship. There are people that would deny Jesus Christ. But they consider themselves Christians. And yet, according to the scripture, it's, we're not pouring into it, it says that we're proclaiming these truths to you so that, so that we may have fellowship, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. I mean, the setup for this letter is incredibly powerful. If you just look at the words, what's the, what's the meaning? What's He conveying here? What's He what's He saying? You know, we could just kind of we could kind of gloss over that if we want to, but look at what we're, look at what He's saying. It's really powerful. Inside the fellowship, outside the fellowship. That which was from the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. <laughs> we, we, and we know that. We look at the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then, now, let's... let's 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 go back here because I think we got we got to go back and we got to take a look at at, at at verse two real quick because verse two we just completely skipped over this says what the first three words what Brenda the life appeared see it's all making sense it's all tied together we got four silly little they're not silly we got four verses right here and we're talking about about God incarnate. In Jesus Christ, that they had fellowship with in a very tactile way. And there they were, eyewitnesses. Their life was like this with Jesus, because he's setting everything up, of course, because there are people that are going to be deniers of Jesus. And he says, the light appeared. And then Jesus said, somewhere else, Jesus himself stated and proclaimed very clearly. He said, I am the the truth and the life. Now, all of a sudden, and of course, we, we, we can see that in 
in uh, John 14, 6, we see that, that that's what Jesus stated specifically proclaiming about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John says, hey, the light appeared. John also talks about it in Revelation. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, in all of this, in all of the things that John that John wrote, and there's a there's a similar theme in his writing, not only his style but his message. But this specifically to the church says, "Hey, the light appeared. It just appeared." And so, in light of that, verse three clearly says we're proclaiming that we have seen this life. The life is God. God appeared. I gotta believe that that just freaked a lot of people out. Hmm. I gotta believe that. Because I think, I'm not sure, I wasn't there, but I think it would freak me out. I think it would freak me out. Because if you were persuaded one way or the other, and you were hearing this for the first time, and John says, hey, in the beginning, God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He appeared, He was here. We were eyewitnesses, and and now what we're about to tell you is based on all of that. Four verses, the complete setup in this expositional study of this letter by looking at the verses, looking at the words, what do they mean, where did they come from, and then we have to deal. We have to end up by looking at this at this 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 term that we we ante about quite a bit. And it's this term that we call fellowship. And of course, you know what the word for fellowship is? Somebody knows. Koinonia. koinonia. So koinonia, and what does koinonia mean? Fellowship. <laughs> In the Greek, it means fellowship. Perfect. Let's go have coffee and donuts. We're good to go. But what is koinonia? Assembly. Okay. Participation. All. Communion. All. That's 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 quite <coughs> In fact, not only is it not only is it participation, communion, to, to being together, but it is it is a singular focus of people in the faith. Koinonia. So we're in koinonia right now. We are people of faith, and we have this common faith. And we believe, and we are in koinonia, fellowship, right now. And we can, we can have fellowship when we're done here by going out and socializing together. That's a form of koinonia fellowship. And all of those things. But koinonia means together. So think about communion this way. We take communion as a sacrament, and communion is like koinonia. It is people. In fact, the Bible says that if you're not in the faith, don't take the communion. It's pretty clear. And yet, so what we look at is the communion is people of a common faith together. And that's koinonia. And so as we see this, it says we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have koinonia with us. Common Faith and fellowship with us. Just setting the tone for what the rest of this letter is going to say. We've put a lot of emphasis in the first four verses here because it's important to understand that as we look at the words and what they mean, 
we can get the meaning out. Okay, it will come out. It will exegesis. It will come out, and God will speak to us through the scriptures as we understand. Quite simply, just what it means. What does it say? And what does it mean? So this is all really pretty direct, isn't it? But pretty profound. It's pretty profound. The the foundation laid for the rest of this letter is Jesus Christ is God incarnate. Manifest in the flesh. Here on the... He hasn't even talked about the rest of Jesus yet. We had koinonia with him. Fellowship with him. Saw him. (coughs) Ate with him. Touched him. Talked with him. Lived with him. Followed him. Follow me. They did all of these things. And he's just proclaiming that to set the tone for the rest of the authority of this letter. And it also implies that by having fellowship with them, they're going to have fellowship with Christ, which means the apostles still alive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, grammar becomes important because we have to look at the tense of these verbs too, don't we? We'll finish with this in the in the last in the last verse. It says, "We write this to you to make our joy complete." Now, some translations say, "We write this to you to make your joy complete." Um, um, I don't know. I don't have an opinion on that. It could be ours or yours. Um, it, it doesn't matter. It's, 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 it's the joy is what's is what's important here. So, so John says, "We write this to you to make our joy complete." Well, where do you suppose that John came up with that idea? Well, if you have a study Bible, you're going to see that you're going to have a cross-reference for that. And if you have a cross-reference in your Bible, like I have in mine, it says, turn to John 15, 9 through 11. So let's turn to John 15, 9. And tell me if you don't think that the Apostle John writing this letter has a few creds now that he's saying that, hey, we've written this, this to you to make our joy complete. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, in John 15, 9, starts by saying this. The context, of course, he's talking about the vine and the branches and being connected, but he ultimately ends up with this. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my... Jesus. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. I can't help but think in context that John, in writing this letter is incredibly influenced by every word that was spoken by Jesus. He's trying to remember all this stuff. He hadn't been overwhelmed. I would have been. I'm pretty confident that you would have been overwhelmed too. Once he figured out who Jesus was, it's like you've got to hang on every word that he's saying. We get to do that through this. John was trying to remember it. I hope he was better at memorizing and remembering things than I am. But, but Jesus said, those very words. And here's John. I gotta believe. I don't know. I gotta believe that John was just reiterating what he had been told 
by Jesus. I tell you these things so that in me, in you, your joy can be made complete. Because he's going to start talking to him about problems. <laughs> the setup is strong. The foundation is being built. And then next week we're going to, we're going to jump into to the real meat of it. And so that's the foundation, the overview, and next comes really the meat. So what's the application for, for yeah, four verses of scripture tonight? What's the application? What comes to your mind about how you can apply the truth of these first four verses? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at with our own hands, have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it. And testify to it. And we proclaim it. We proclaim to you the eternal life. Which had, which was with the Father. And has appeared to us. We proclaim to you. What we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. What's the application? Jesus is God. Okay. What are you going to do with that? Huh? Believe it. That's a wonderful application. Now, I'm going to believe it. Amen. That's a wonderful application. That's the truth. Just proclaim the truth. There's a lot of proclamation going on here in four verses or one sentence if you were a Greek and reading this in the Greek. Hey, just proclaim the truth. That's all he's doing. Simple. Proclaim the truth. Okay? Any other application? Your joy is complete in the eternal life. We were talking about that Sunday at Mystery, weren't we? It's, yeah. Are you kidding me? I, you know, my dad went home to be with the Lord on Friday night. And I can't help but think that God has been preparing me for this for a really long time. And because my viewpoint, I, I, I've learned this through Scripture, my viewpoint is to view everything from the perspective of heaven because I'm not from here. And so whenever somebody dies, and this has been a challenge for me this last few days because it's like, and he's not there. You know, and he's like right there, and now he's not right there, and yet I know exactly where he is. And so I, it brings me great joy, and my sadness is that I can't go out and I can't hold his hand, I can't feed him, I can't talk to him, I can't, I can't do any of those things. For mm-hmm. a time. Because my perspective, my perspective is heaven. That's the joy. It doesn't matter. Now, in, in one sense, Bring it on, right, Brenda? Because <laughs> we're not here for that long. So it, it, it helps. The reality is is that I'm hurting, you know, emotionally and otherwise. But, but, but the perspective is that it's not for long. And, and so a believer dies and it's like, whoa, I'm going to miss you, but not for long. Not for long. That's a reality also. That we can get from this. Here it is. Our joy is made complete. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your revelation uh, to us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you how you weave truth in and out of our lives as we are able to appropriate it. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us uh, what we need in order to appropriate the truth, that we would proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ God, by just living it. Mm-hmm. 
And really, that's what you call us to do. So, thank you for bringing us here tonight. Thank you, God, for uh, the revelation of, of your truth and your word. Thank you that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is God, that he lived, that 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 we that, that he died, that he resurrected, God, that, that we have salvation in him and 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 uh, Lord, all these truths are just are just awesome that we can appropriate in our lives. And so we just thank you for, for all of that. Go with us now, God, and take us home and get us there safely, God. Uh, help us, Lord, to uh, understand and again appropriate the truths of your word through our through our uh, through our remaining days until we meet here again, if that is your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you have some self-study homework and preparation for next week, by the way. <laughs> Marvin is shaking his head. It's simple, though. Okay? For you, Wes, it's simple. Read all of 1 John. Yep. I'll take you about 15, 20 minutes. That's your homework. If you so choose, as you're reading it, make a... No, you don't have to study. Make a couple of notes. Huh? A couple of questions, even. Huh? Proclaim something that God revealed to you as you just read 1 John. If you have a study Bible and you're reading 1 John... Learn to use your cross-reference section. Find a cross-reference in your study Bible and go to it. Learn to use that. Okay, It's an awesome tool to allow Scripture to speak. Okay, Because Scripture is in unity. So use your study Bible if you've not done that before. And if you need help, let me know. I'd be happy to show you how to do that. But use the cross-references. And... and Really important. Have fun doing it. I mean, guys, this is fun. This is learning spiritual disciplines to do. It's really, I mean, you know, it's better than Monday night football. I guarantee you, it just is, and it's and it's fun. So when you have time, <laughs> that's right. We know who wins. Um, and so and so, have fun in the process and give glory to God through the whole thing. And then we'll meet back here again uh, next Wednesday, and we will start in verse five.